We ask the help of our guests, especially anyone who is from the press or the radio, to protect the anonymity of all alcoholics present or mentioned here this evening. We hope that uh, you hear something at this meeting which you can take away with you and use. But we do respectfully request that you leave the names of any AA members, both those uh, here on the platform or those in the audience, here where they belong in the fellowship of AA. I would like to welcome each and every one of you here this evening. My name is Tom and I am an alcoholic. I would like to uh, welcome those of you who are from St. Louis to the meeting this evening. And I would like to extend an especially warm welcome to those of you who have come from throughout the United States and Canada to be here for the conference this weekend. We have a lot of sights to see in St. Louis besides just the conference. We have a new arch and a new stadium. And for those of you who are doing real well on the program, we have Gaslight Square. <laughs> I would like to think of some nice warm way that I could welcome everybody here this evening. I can't think of anything, though, that would make us all feel any more at home than to simply recite the 12 suggested steps of AA. Number one, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a searching made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying for his knowledge praying for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs alcoholics anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes, our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. The average alcoholic in the United States, according to a recent study, is 35 years old. He still has a job. He probably still has a family. But he has a problem. And it's this problem that caused the formation of the young people in AA conference. Tonight we have as our first speaker a man who has traveled uh, to St. Louis from Ontario, Canada to speak to us. He was one of the persons who uh, was instrumental in the early days of the young people in AA conference. And he's going to tell us a little bit about the establishment of this conference. I would like to introduce to you, and I'd like for you all to give a warm welcome, 
to a man from Canada, Dennis A. from Ontario. Dennis? I've got 43 pages of notes here. That make you feel good? Thank you for those uh, warm words of introduction. I can state that uh, I'm very, very pleased to be visiting St. Uh, Louis for the first time. And by the warm reception that I've received since checking in about 4 o'clock this afternoon, I hope it will not be my last opportunity to visit with you. You seem to be a nice, generous people with your applause, and maybe at, uh, I'll risk telling a joke that never seems to get anywhere n north of the border. <laughs> it's a story about a, uh, about a drunk that uh, woke up after sleeping one off beside a pool of water, and uh, he looks down, and uh, the water's quite clear. He doesn't realize it's a pool, and he sees the moon and the stars clearly reflected. And he says, yeah, that's the moon all right down there, but what the heck am I doing up here? Well, I'm wondering that myself because tonight I've been, I'm give, been given the privilege to address the International Young People's Conference for the ninth successive year. And this to me is a very distinct privilege. I bring to you also the greetings of the young people from Ontario who are unable to be with you here today in person but are with you today in spirit. We have roughly ten young people's groups in the province of Ontario and I'm sorry that we're not better represented here. However, distance and financial problems prevent many of them from coming that would like to attend. When I talk to people about the Young People's Conference today, I find that they ask many of the questions that were asked ten years ago prior to the starting of the first Young People's Conference. The questions deal, well, why a Young People's Group? What purpose does it serve? Why do you need a young people's conference? Are you trying to segregate yourselves from AA? Trying to set up a different organization? Why can't you mix with the rest of the groups? And Are you trying to exclude people? Well, I can assure you that ten years ago when we were talking about the idea of forming the first young people's conference, the answers at that time were quite elusive and unclear. But in the light of experience in the past ten years, I think those answers are becoming more clear as time goes by. And the proof lies in the fact that these conferences have continued successfully for nine consecutive years. Maybe during the course of my talk I'll be able to just touch on some of the answers that I see today. It probably wasn't too clear when we started the first one. I'm not going to go into the history of young people's groups in, Ontario, in Canada or United States. For while I'm familiar with the general history, I haven't done any research to establish from an authoritative point of view which is the oldest group in the United States and the oldest one in Canada and so on. But I am very familiar with the history of the young people's group as it pertains to these conferences, the history of the conference itself. I'm going to touch on some of the events that I feel personally contributed largely to the formation of the first conference which was held in 1958 in Niagara Falls, New York. The period between 1955 and 1958 were important years for young people, I think, because of the fact that there weren't too many young people's groups anywhere in North America. I joined AA as a 1955, 1953, and while I was warmly received by AA in Vancouver, British Columbia, there was very, very few young people around to identify with. The older member tried to help me with the problems, and they tried to share with me their experience, strength, and hope. But there was very, very little hope, and I didn't have somebody my own age in the 20s to chum around with. And the problems that I had to face, I thought, were peculiar to my generation, in that here I had a family and I had a, that I didn't I had children that I didn't know how to relate to. I had a wife that I didn't know whether I loved or I didn't know how to respond as a husband or how to respond as a father. I was very immature, very unsettled. And in desperation after about six months I was all set to quit AA because I felt 
I'm tired of being alone. Loneliness was a thing that bothered me most in my initial period of time. The secretary at that time says, why don't you uh, try to start a young people's group? There are two or three other younger people in various parts of the city. Why don't you try to get them together? And this was the formation of the first young people's group in Vancouver, British Columbia. And from that time on, I've sort of associated myself with young people's groups because it was here that I found that my, me- my needs were being met. It was here that I found the understanding and I found the, I found the friendship and the companionship that I needed. I don't want to take anything away from the old-timer who so graciously assisted so often in those meetings, sharing with us their experience and their strength, supporting us by turning out to the meetings, kicking in with the dollar bills when we needed to pay the rent and we were, most of us were not working. They gave of themselves in every way that they knew how. The rest of the job was up to us. We had to get out and answer calls to young people. We had to get off of our backsides and do a little bit of work. And above all, we had to show that we had some stability so that we could be entrusted with responsibilities and take our rightful place within the framework and the structure of Alcoholics Anonymous. I moved from Vancouver to Toronto in 1955, and there was a young people's group there in existence for several years. It was while I was in this group that we received a call from the Buffalo Intergroup Service stating that they had several young people in the Buffalo, New York area that had been trying desperately to keep a young people's group going. They stated that it had fallen apart at the seams maybe 10 or 12 times and couldn't seem to get back on its feet. Would we come up from Toronto and give them a hand? Well, we were pleased to say yes. Then we encountered the problem of how are we going to get there and how many people can we get and we have to arrange transportation and cars. This generated some activity that seemed to be an integral part of the young people's history. We traveled to Buffalo, we helped them put on an open meeting, we supplied the speakers and we tried to supply a little bit of moral support for them. And for the time that followed, we continued to commute between Toronto and Buffalo, giving them the support while they got on their feet. It was while we were there we talked in terms of maybe organizing a young people's rally. And this rally was organized in 1958, in the fall of 58. We sent out word to New York that we'd like to be put in contact with the young people's groups that may be in existence in the eastern part of the United States and Canada. We got a very slim uh, list back, I can assure you. But there was a 35 and under group in Philadelphia that had a group there that had been going for several years. We wrote this group a letter and asked them if they would support us in this venture. We asked if it was possible to attract young people to a central place with the idea of sharing on a little better, a little uh, grander scale, so to speak, our experiences and to discuss the problems that were common to the young people. When that rally was held, we were surprised to find there was close to 500 people turned out in Buffalo. They came from Philadelphia and from Montreal and Toronto and different parts of the United States and Canada. From Elmira, we found there was a young man's group. Maybe they were a crowd in the 40 mark, but they were still a young man's group in the years, of the AA years. And this rally convinced us that probably if we attempted to start a young people's conference, we may get the initial support from that area. At least we're willing to take a gamble. A conference committee was called for in the Richford Hotel in Buffalo. And I can recall there was 22 people that attended representing young people's groups. I remember the Philadelphia gang had to travel about 500 miles behind a snowplow in a, in a snowstorm. But they got there. They wanted to be represented. Toronto was there during that snowstorm. And from this, a nucleus of the first committee took place. We started off on a grand scale with 16 members nominated from the Toronto Young People's Group. And they felt that one committee would have to come from one city, and Toronto, Toronto was given the nod to go ahead. We ended up with three active committee members within three weeks. Three of us. The rest of AA in Toronto area felt this could not be done. You'll not get this conference off the ground. It's an impossibility. The young people's group in Toronto at that time, while they gave us encouragement, there were some doubts because when we asked for a financial contribution to help us to get started with postage and so on, there was $160 in the bank and they donated $5 to a worthy cause. (laughs) With that $5 bill and the fact that I was unemployed along with a a fellow uh, worker, we were able to uh, put much time into organizing our first conference. We had the enthusiasm of youth. We had a feeling that we could accomplish something worthwhile if we could only get 
the support and bridge that gap between the young man and the young at heart. And of course, we were subject to much criticism. It was those that didn't like the idea of young people getting together by themselves. Who in the hell do they think they are anyway? AA's been going good for 20 years, and this is what we had to put up. One old fellow said, uh, said to me, and I was quite angered, he said, you know, I've spilt more booze in my vest than you've ever drank. Now, that got my hackles up. And I continued to get my hackles up until the answer came to me. It wasn't what he spilled on his vest that caused my life to become unmanageable, but it's what I drank. And when I got that through my thick noggin, I went ahead and I kept on working with these fellows toward that first target date for Niagara Falls, New York. The call was successful. We received uh, close to 300 people at our first international conference. All the speakers turned up, and while we didn't have a, a financial sheet that, that would balance, we, t we did manage to turn in a $3 profit, I believe, by those of us on the conference committee not submitting personal expenses. We were determined to show a profit in our first venture. But we did prove one thing, that people would travel, that young people were interested, and there was a certain group of young at heart in AA that seen the tremendous possibilities of working with young people and using young people to attract others into this program. And as mentioned by our chairman, General Service was giving support in the intergroup committees because they realized that the marketplace for the alcoholic was no longer just on Skid Row exclusively as it was 30 years ago. Less than 15% of the alcoholics come from Skid Row. The rest are young guys with families, white shirts on, some of them with jobs and with so on and so forth. And there was the tremendous marketplace. And as Bill W. said, unless something is done soon to dissolve some of the complacency that's taken place in AA, we're liable to go out of existence. You know, it's possible. We think of ourselves in such grand terms that quite often the 12-step calls are going unheeded. But because of the tremendous upsurge in young people's group, here's where we find the vitality and the enthusiasm if it can be tempered with the wisdom of the older member who is showing us the way. And this is the reason why the average age is dropping from 55 down to 35. Because we recognize the problem earlier and we're working with it at a time when there is a better chance for recovery. Well, we were pretty green and inexperienced in convention work, I can assure you, because after the conference was over, it was the consensus of opinion that we shouldn't just drop it and forget about it, that something should be done to see if we couldn't get one next year. Who's going to look after it? Well, I will, said some fellow. We never have seen him before and we haven't seen him since. <laughs> He said, I'll look after it, and he went back to uh, the Chicago area somewhere. I won't pinpoint the city, but he's one of the suburbs. <laughs> and correspondence and communication was supposed to take place, and this broke down. And finally, uh, we decided to come from Toronto and to come down to Chicago to see what this fellow was doing and getting the conference on the road for next year. And, of course, we found out there was quite a few problems. There wasn't a committee set up. And so for the next period of time, we commuted from Toronto to Chicago on weekends while we tried to get a local committee organized because we felt that it, we didn't want this conference to go by the wayside. And pretty soon we were able to contact some good young people in there, Roger and Jeannie and John P. and uh, Duane from... And they, they were able to get a committee going and save the conference in its second year. The conference took place in Chicago and it was quite well attended. But it did not turn in a profit financially. It was, they broke even. They had a few financial problems. The next year, we had the conference go to Philadelphia. This time, we seen to it that we met some of these people from Philadelphia. And Mike and Jean and Irene and a few of them that had come down to Chicago and to the first conference in Niagara Falls seemed to be the type of people that would not fall down in their responsibilities. Consequently, we've seen for the first time in the third year some real organization go into organizing a conference. The 35 and under group in Philadelphia area was responsible for seeing to it that it was properly supplied with committee members. Now, they'd done a bang-up job and turned in the first profit, but they didn't know who to turn the profit into. We said, well, maybe you should go to New York, or we don't know whether there'll be a conference next year or not, and we, we sh maybe we should send out letters to find out if somebody will bid for the conference. And it was from this type of experience that it was felt that maybe we should hang on to some of the people from each conference and form a bit of an advisory council to guarantee the continuity of the conference from one year to another. So as a result, the International Advisory Council of Young People of AA was formed. The money was turned into them, and a bank account was opened up, 
where people could send in their contributions, direct inquiries, and publicity and mail could be sent out. The following year, the conference went to Milwaukee, and there again we were able to share in the initial mistakes made in Chicago in the second year. And some of those members who had now gained some insight into conference organizing and some of the problems they had to face, work began on the fourth international conference held in Milwaukee, and this was quite a success. The Toronto people were quite enthusiastic and felt that this was a Canadian idea to start with. Maybe we should try to get the conference in Canada at least once. Americans have a way of grabbing the ball and running right to the touchdown, you know. And we wanted to play a little interception and see if we couldn't add one of the laurels to, to, the, to Canada. So a bunch of enthusiastic people from Hamilton, Ontario, came down and put in a bid. And they went back to Hamilton and started 12 hard months of organizing. As a result of that conference, I think we had a record turnout from all over the country, and they turned in a profit somewhere around $775. This is after giving away free coffee for three days. And here we experimented with something new. We had various groups throughout the country, young people's groups, take part in sponsoring a coffee room, a coffee hour. Philadelphia had its name up for one hour, and then the young people's group from St. Catharines had their name up, and some other young people's group from, from Milwaukee and from Montreal. And as a result, they picked up the tab and they showed genuine hospitality. Every cup of coffee was paid for from young people's funds. And we were truly host in that particular event. From there, it went down to South Carolina, where we had a, a taste of the southern hospitality for the first time from Canada. We were very impressed with the uh, type of AA they have down there, and we were grateful to these people for filling in a year when it was going to be very difficult to obtain a convention city. From there, it went into Detroit. The Detroit young people turned out in force, and they felt that they needed a conference in their particular area. Roger was telling me today that when they brought the conference bid back to Detroit, they were met with sort of a passive attitude. Young people were really uh, not very strong in the area, and nor were they accepted very easily. And they had many organizational problems at the beginning, but they were able to organize a successful conference. And as a result, he tells me that young people are well accepted now in the Detroit area, and should the conference ever come back to the city of Detroit, it will be enthusiastically welcomed and supported. Last year, the conference, uh, I'm, I'm going to go back just to one year and tell you something odd that happened in Chicago. Because the World Convention was taking place in Long Beach, the very last minute, something possessed the chairman at that time to suggest that maybe we should discontinue the conference next year because Long Beach is having one and we don't want to interfere with the World Convention. And he was going to take a show of hands, all those in favor of discontinuing the conference and being active for the first two years, the first three years, I was put in a very embarrassing position. I was a guest speaker, but I did stand up and ask for the microphone and we sort of had a little hassle there in front of the crowd at the banquet, and we su I suggested that if the conference was discontinued, we may not get it organized again. So it went to a secret vote, and everybody filled out a paper, and later on, I can tell you, we sure sweated. While well, we watched the one pile growing, and there was only one or two ballots on the other, and I figured, boy, we've lost the conference. Then he announced the results. It was 300 to 2 that the conference take place next year. That was the Young People's Conference. So... These are some of the problems that we had, and uh, now these problems are being discussed on the advisory council level with all conferences, past conference committee men participating in its deliberations and decisions. Last year, the conference went to Long Beach, the site of the 25th annual conference of AA, and Richard is here today all the way from California to participate in the conference this year. And here we've seen a conference that had somewhere around 2,400 people register for the Young People's Conference. And in the wake of that conference, Richard tells me there's been tremendous upsurge in interest in young people's activities. They have approximately 30 young people's groups now in the California area. And now they have their own young people's intergroup committee working in close liaison with the older intergroup committees. They're working in close harmony on many, many projects. And another thing that he mentioned was that the the activity that was generated in the interest in young, young alcoholics in the state prompted the state legislature to pass a bill setting up a, um, 
I think it's called a, a young offenders or a young, a young offenders training center where they go into the problem of alcohol with these young people and the young people's groups are very instrumental in seeing to it that information is being disseminated into this organization, that they're sponsored into AA if they feel that they have an alcohol problem. These are some of the things that have happened. This year we see the conference in St. Louis, and where it goes next year we don't know. And I think by the early bird turnout tonight, I think you're going to have a successful conference this year. I've only got about five minutes left, and in that time I'm just going to mention some of the questions that we couldn't answer ten years ago can be answered today. What good does a young people's group do? Well, first off, it does provide an excellent setting to sponsor a young person in in the initial entry to AA. If he phones up and says, I'm only 24 years of age, and uh, the intergroup office secretary can state, that's quite all right. We need to have a young people's group. This opens the door into a discussion where you can point out that the symptoms of alcoholism is present today, that alcoholism is not a respecter of age any more than it is of race or religion or politics. This is number one. The young people have to identify with people their own age. The same, I'm sure, that if you had to attend, those of you that are 50 or 60, if you had to consistently attend AA meetings where there was only people in their early 20s, I think you would feel a little bit put out once in a while. But today we're finding that with all these young people's groups, there were seven young people's groups ten years ago, today we're crowding the hundred mark. And these are the people that are using these young, these young people's conferences as a training ground. It is here they're getting a full appreciation of the traditions of AA. It is here that new ideas are coming out. They're being channeled to the right sources to general service. These young people don't just sit back after the conference is over and say, well, I've done my bit. No. They're a little bit more experienced and wiser, and they're now taking part in general service committees, intergroup committees, 12-step houses. They're working on state programs for alcoholism. They're active with the young people. They're visiting penitentiaries. They have the stamina to do this type of legwork because they still have their youth. And I think if it was the, if the young people were going to wait until the old-timer does all this work forever, you know, the old-timer can get tired and he fades away and finally he's, you know, you can't go on forever. And I think the old-timer realizes that the Madanza lies in attracting younger people. This is where the lifeblood of AA comes from, the new person. The need for a young people's conference, well, of course, when it comes to alcoholics, you don't need a, you don't need a real good reason. All you have to do, if you're a bunch of bald-headed fellows, well, have a bald-headed convention if you want. But the point is that we all suffer from one disease, and any excuse is a good excuse for a gathering. We found that out over cups of coffee, and whether it's in a restaurant or at a convention. This is a nice place to share our experience and our strength and hope and to swap a few lies, tell a few stories, and just enjoy the wonderful fellowship that is ours to enjoy this date. I think that... The cries of you ten years ago, what are we, segregationists, are we trying to exclude people? I think this has answered itself. When you see a, a meeting such as this with the young and the young at heart mixing together in harmony, working towards a common purpose, this question is not being ri uh, uh, raised as it was at that time. I think AA has changed and they realize that the young people are being afflicted today, that with the medium of propaganda, television, bars in every corner and and the tremendous pressures that young people are under today, they're marrying younger, they're having difficult times today, they're turning to alcohol maybe a lot earlier in life. But the difference between young people today and the old-timer when he was young is that, thank God, AA is here today. We don't have to wait for another 30 or 40 years for AA to be born before we can get help. It's here now. And I think we should realize that the outstretched hand, that handshake, that was symbolic when they started AA 30 years ago, is just as important today. And that the old-timer, when he sees a young fellow coming in, if he sticks out his hand, I'm sure the young fellow's going to feel he's in the right place. If they want me to stay on a strict time schedule, I'm going to close here with a quotation out of the grapevine, an article in Grapevine. I think it was in Milwaukee that the, the grapevine sent a reporter to find out what was all this enthusiasm being generated about young people. Who were they? How did it get started? And they wanted to find out. So they sent their grapevine reporter, and he talked to people from all over the country, and he wrote an article. It was the longest article in grapevine's history. And he pointed out the pros and cons, the good and the bad, the problems and the solutions. And I was always impressed with the way he terminated that article in the grapevine. This was Barry L. who wrote this article, and he concluded with, uh, on this vein, One thing is certain. 
Young people, thank God, are coming into AA in ever-increasing numbers. They hold the promise and the power of our future leadership, and the older members must help them to utilize their youth, vitality, and great potential. I want to thank the conference committee for inviting me for the ninth consecutive time. And like the drunk says, I'm wondering what I'm doing up here. I'm 36 years of age now, and this may be probably one of the last conventions where I'll probably be participating in the, in the program. I can assure you that along with many other people who served in the past nine years, working on these conference committees have helped me to mature. It helped to give me a real appreciation of my fellow man, his weaknesses and his shortcomings. It gave me an insight into my own personality and my own shortcomings. It made me a little bit more tolerant of other people. It made me realize that this is definitely a disease and the character disorder and the personality problems that are so prevalent amongst the alcoholic were the things that I could identify in myself. I'm so grateful to AA in general, but in particular, in particular to the opportunity to serve as a young person and to now sort of drift into other type of activity within AA that I can feel I'm fulfilling a worthwhile purpose. I can feel, I thank God that if it were for the fact that there were young people in my time to help an unstable person like me come into AA and to remain. If I hadn't been put into contact with young people along the line, I'm sure I'd be one of the many that's six feet under in the penitentiary or in the insane asylum. Thank you one and all. Thank you, Dennis, and I'm sure that you don't have to worry about getting too old for the young people in AA conference. I'm sure that uh, you'll be here for many years to come and an honored speaker. A real good message. Uh, I think that one of the greatest things about AA is a, is a habit that we bring in from the old days before AA, and that's the yes uh, you can ask anybody in AA to uh, do anything uh, in the in behalf of AA, and they always say yes. We uh, in the old days, uh, if they ask us if we wanted a drink, we always said yes. We didn't care whether it was scotch or bourbon or Menon's aftershave. We always said yes, and I think that's one of the most wonderful things about the AA fellowship. Cut through four slices of bread, too. That's really bad. And uh, uh, the wonderful thing is that we have brought this yes on into AA, and people like Dennis come down uh, from Ontario to be with us tonight. An inspiring message, Dennis, and thank you very much. Moving right along now, there are 75,000 alcoholics in St. Louis that we know of. There are probably... Uh, some others in closets that we don't know of. But uh, their disease directly affects the lives of four other people. Uh, if my mathematics are right, that amounts to about 375,000 people in the city of St. Louis who are directly affected by the disease of alcoholism. It is truly a family disease. Wives are affected. Husbands are affected, children are affected, and I think it's only fitting at this blast-off session of young people in AA that we hear from a representative of Al-Anon and a representative of Alateen. Donna S. has been a long and hard worker in Al-Anon, uh, a lot longer than I've been sober, I know, and uh, I'm sure that she has a real good message for all of us tonight for Al-Anon. Donna S. Thank you, Tom. I just want to say I'm glad you don't have to divulge your age here tonight. And I'm also happy that you said it's for the young and the young in heart because I feel better about this. This is quite an honor for me to appear here this evening on an all-male panel. However, let me say this to the other females in the audience, and I hope they won't persecute me too badly. 
for making this statement. We as a species always like to be right, but here's one instance where one was not myself. Now, I'm not here as a complaining wife. We're trying to understand the problems and devastating ways that alcoholism affects a family. You see, we have a problem, too. Alcoholism is truly a family disease. If you excuse me a moment, I want to get over my nervousness. Gateway to freedom through AA, but also we feel through Al-Anon. For those of you who still have, uh, for those of you who have spouses, relatives, and friends, much assistance can be given to the alcoholic by the understanding a person can learn through Al-Anon what not to do perhaps as much as what to do. I belong to the Edgewood Al-Anon group in the North St. Louis County, and we meet each Wednesday evening at Edgewood Hospital. And as a matter of fact, we just celebrated our three-year anniversary in July, which we are quite proud of. We have a rather large group, I guess you might say, with a weekly attendance of anywhere between 15 and 25 gals. I've been around this program for quite a while, as Tom said, for almost five years now, and I still consider myself at most times a beginner. This program was most difficult for me in the beginning because I questioned and argued and debated everybody and everything in Al-Anon during that first year. It didn't make sense to me how they could laugh and why were they so friendly. And I couldn't understand how anyone could remain quite that calm during a crisis. And I think because of my curious nature that this was one of the important factors that kept me returning to those meetings week after week. Heaven only knows I needed them. And also I imagine the exposure that I had to Al-Anon during that first year spoiled the neurotic person that I was slowly turning into. To fill you in just a little bit on my before Al-Anon life, let me tell you that I had been to see a priest, a minister, a doctor, a lawyer, a marriage counselor, and a psychiatrist. And not one of those professional persons told me of an Al-Anon program existing anywhere in the city of St. Louis. So it was about that stage that I came to believe perhaps I was at fault and guilty for my husband's drinking, as he had so often told me I was. And this was most disastrous for me. I just didn't want to believe this. But after being around this program for this length of time, I feel quite firmly that sometimes and most often a wife or a family need much more counseling and help than the alcoholic himself if a successful recovery program is to be launched. And we feel this is uh, the importance in Al-Anon. We feel very strongly about Al-Anon. When I was trying to collect my thoughts and decide what I was going to say here this evening, I remembered the time that one of our children forgot their lunch money one day and I thought that I would take it up to school to him rather than have him come home for it. And I thought that at that hour the children were usually in church, so I went into church to try and find them, but there were no children any place around, and I was quite alone, and it was very still and quiet in there. And as I looked on the altar, I discovered that I had not gone to God for help, that I had bypassed him completely. So I asked him if he would please help me, that I was the most sick and troubled and upset person, and that I really needed his help badly. Well, it seems quite unbelievable, but that very same evening, a friend of ours came to town from Texas. 
He was a salesman who called on my husband, but we still considered him a friend of ours. And he found the home in somewhat of an upset condition that evening. And he told me that he had a cousin who lived in the city who had had the same problem in her home, but that Harold no longer drank anymore, and why didn't I call her? Perhaps she could help me. So I placed the phone call to her the next week, and it was during the course of this conversation that I found out about Al-Anon. She was most kind and gracious to me and talked to me for quite a while. And she put me in touch with the group secretary, and I attended my first Al-Anon meeting. And it was there that I found a marvelous group of gals who were most kind and understanding and they were all so eager to help me. It was a great consolation to me then to learn that I was not the only wife in the St. Louis area who had this problem in her home, as so many of us think we are alone. After a few meetings, I seemed to grow up a little bit. I hadn't realized that I was quite that immature. And after a few more meetings, I discovered that I could make a few decisions. Right or wrong, I made them, but I suffered the consequences from them if they were wrong. I'm convinced, too, that at the length of the time that I've been around this program that patience is truly a virtue. About three years ago, a crisis occurred in our home, and my husband came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I know this program hasn't been easy for him, because all problems don't lie in the bottle but in persons. And I feel that without Al-Anon behind me, perhaps I would not have had the patience and the courage and the understanding to have gone on. I also realize that God has been very good to us, and our four children are certainly proof of that. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to hear a marvelous talk by a Jesuit priest who is a friend of ours. And he made it seem so easy, and he did such a good job that at the end of the talk I went up to him and I said, Father, you really made that seem so easy. There certainly must be some secret to this. And he said, Well, there is a secret. All you have to do is think up a good beginning. Next, you have to think up a good closing. And he said, then you have to keep the two as close together as possible. Now, this I hope I have done for you this evening, but before I close, it wasn't too long ago that I sat in this very same room and listened to my husband introduce a group of speakers like this. And in the next instant, I heard my name mentioned. He was introducing me, his wife, to this audience. So I'd like to even that score this evening and present my husband, Ed, to this audience. Ed? I wish to thank you for allowing me to come here this evening and tell you a bit about Al-Anon and what it means to me. It's always a favorite subject of mine. And you've been a most kind and gracious audience to me, and I thank you very much. Sneaky way to get you to come to a meeting, isn't it, Ed? <laughs> I think that uh, one of the most discouraging things that ever happened to me was when my wife first came into Al-Anon. I was still drinking, and uh, uh, I suddenly found out that I couldn't con her anymore, uh, or not quite as much, anyhow. And... Uh, it, uh, there was a lot more serenity around the house. Uh, I didn't know exactly what it was that was going on because I was always prepared for a battle when I came home. And all of a sudden, I wasn't getting it anymore. And uh, the, only, the only inkling I had that anything was wrong at all was I would get little snatches of uh, telephone conversation like... Uh, uh, oh, yes, I've already talked to the lawyer about that, and, and things like that, that uh, made me think 
I am certainly not discouraged today that my wife is in Al-Anon. Uh, I am certain that a great deal of the serenity that we have under our roof is because of my wife's affiliation with Al-Anon and her working of the 12 steps that they work in Al-Anon. Another organization that works 12 steps toward recovery, just as in AA and Al-Anon, is Alateen. And we have with us a fine young man whose parents I know, uh, and I'm sure that they would be most proud of him this evening, speaking for Alateen, Sam S. Sam? Thank you. My name is Sam S. I was first introduced to Alateen a little over four years ago. At that time, I learned only one thing, that Alateen is a fellowship of the teenage children whose parent, our parents, have a drinking problem. They are banded together to try to solve their common problems of fear, insecurity, lack of understanding of the alcoholic, and the warped personal lives resulting, resulting from alcoholism. I didn't figure I needed Alateen then. Dad was in AA for several years and Mom was in Al-Anon. I'd figured, well, let them straighten out the mess. Then a little over two years ago, I began to realize that something just wasn't right. My grades were lousy. I was losing my old friends, and the new ones I were making were the wrong kind. My personality was nil, and I began to feel it was a pretty rotten world. I decided after some thought to go back to Alateen and see if they had any answers for me. I went for a while, and nothing changed. Then one day, I came to the realization that I may be going to Alateen, but I certainly wasn't, not, I certainly wasn't living by their principles of the program, that I was still blaming everyone and everything for my problems. I guess it was then that I took one of the 12 suggested steps. I took number four, a fearless and moral inventory of myself. It was then I really saw myself for the first time, a very selfish boy full of resentments, hates, and self-pity, all dating back as far as I could remember. I guess something from the meetings had soaked in this thick head of mine because I realized that I was the way I was because of my thinking not because of people and things around me. I wanted to change, and I knew I only could do this along with the help of this program. Up until this time, God was nothing to me personally except the picture of an old bearded man on a Bible my mother had given me. But thanks to Alateen and the 12 suggested steps, this has changed. I needed to change, and I came to believe a power greater than myself could and can restore me to sanity, sane thinking. And I finally made a decision to turn my life over to the care of this higher power as I understand him. My whole attitude towards life has changed, and I, although I still have problems, and always will have, I'm not afraid to face them. My grades are a lot better. For some reason, my teachers have changed, too. <laughs> I feel f more like a live, happy human being instead of a lost one heading through life full of hatred of myself and everyone else in life in general. I haven't worked all the steps and probably never will, but I knew, do know one thing. I'm just thankful that Alateen came in my direction, that it helped me not only to understand the alcoholism, but helped me understand myself before it was too late. I needed help, and in my opinion, the kind of help that only Alateen could give. Thank you. Now, why don't we read about him in the newspapers? <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam, for the son's side of the disease of alcoholism. Thank you very much, Donna, for an inspiring talk. We're getting down to the, uh, the stories in AA. Three real good stories. The first from another native St. Louisan, a fellow who has been working the program for quite some time now and doing a marvelous job. I'd like to introduce to you Chuck F. from St. Louis.
wasn't quite uh, sure how to start this. I suppose you've all heard that phrase before. I considered something direct like, greetings, fellow drunks. Or something from Madison Avenue like, hello out there in sobriety land. Or something poetic and declarative like, ex-genners aren't sinners. I haven't decided yet which of the three is the worst. Anyway, I think we all agree that easy phrases, gilding the lily, so to speak, old saws, and stale bromides, haven't yet solved any of the problems of man. This has always been done through hard work, change, and direct action. I can remember people in regarding me saying, a leopard can't change his spots, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Well, I don't regard myself as a leopard, and certainly not as a sow. The point is that we in AA are living proofs that man can change if he wants to badly enough. We live in a most rapidly changing era, probably without doubt the most rapidly changing era in the history of mankind. Whether we like it or not, we in AA are part of that. We are caught up in it, totally involved in it, not by choice, always but by the den of the fact that we're, we're taking part in the history of the world. Technically, in 60 short years, we've moved from primitive electric power to a power great enough to wipe man off the face of the earth. Socially, to greater mobility, a faster moving society, faster changing values. 60 years ago, people who are here tonight couldn't be here. Morally, we're improving man's well-being. And perhaps this may be the slowest change that man is making today. Improvements are being made in mental health, as we all know. We're better, we're trying to understand interracial problems better and do something about them. More economic opportunities are open to man than have ever been before. And certainly more men are being educated in better ways, we hope. Probably most directly important to us, we have moved from a damning to an understanding society as far as social problems are concerned. AA, again, is an example of this. It hasn't been too long ago that the drunk was looked on as hopeless. That's the way he is. That's the way he'll always be. Today, through AA, other formal and informal institutions, we're trying to make direct steps to do something about this. But where does this leave us in a changing world in the year 1966? We're soberly facing a world that may seem a little overwhelming at times. We're part of the change and we're responsible for the world we live in. Whether we like it or not, just by dint of living, we are our brother's keeper. We're our brother's keeper whether we choose to be or not to be. What we need are, is new ideas in AA to meet the new ideas in a changing world. New bottles for new ideas. This does not mean giving up the 12 steps or the basic traditions but using them to our advantage. This means searching and finding new and better ways to live, to find out more about alcoholism, to find out more about the world we live in. A friend of mine has always advised AAs, read the big book and do what it says. I agree. But in many cases, how do you direct the confused young alcoholic who isn't clear on his moral values in a world of rapidly changing moral values to formulate a useful pattern of life out of the big book. And this is not to say that the big book is not useful, but it leaves a great deal of latitude in directing our lives so they're useful for us. Each man must live within a pattern which provides him with a useful, happy life. 
This pattern does not mean you can abdicate responsibility, because freedom implies responsibilities, we well know. So within the framework of the big book, there's a great deal of latitude for each man to decide individually for himself how he can live a useful, happy life and still maintain responsibility to himself, to the world around him. As I said before, as young people in AA, we are going to be caught up in these new changes in the world. We've got to look at them, deal with them. To make the 12 steps work, we've got to do more to understand ourselves, more to understand the world we live in. Many of the old ideas are falling, and well so. Many of the new ideas may not prove to be useful and workable in man's existence. We're changing our ideas about our relationship to man, our fellow man, to the universe, and to God. With them, we must accept the responsibility of finding out about our fellow man, about the universe, and about God. A good example would be what source helps us to understand the best. Take a man who is taking the fifth step, either before or after he's on the program, because many of us took it before we were on the program. And he goes to a priest who simply tells him to say five Hail Marys, as this panacea will cure everything, or to a minister who tells him to repent or be damned. Fortunately, this type of thing is changing. We all know this. Fortunately, people in the clergy are finding out more and more about alcoholism, understanding the problem, therefore understanding how to deal with it. Five Hail Marys don't solve problems. The only way problems are solved is through direct action and understanding. Serenity is a nice word, but how does a man achieve it when his wife is so bitter against him that she'll give him no peace? Or how does a woman achieve it with a drunken, brutal husband who won't stay sober long enough to find himself or the world he lives in or find out what kind of a person his wife is. Too often we give general cures for this. We must concentrate on giving specific ideas to new people coming into AA, to old people in AA. This has to be based on experience and knowledge. Telling a man to say simply say the serenity prayer when he's in a dilemma about a specific living problem really isn't much better than telling him to say five Hail Marys. What you have to do, what we all must try to do, is direct ourselves to the problems at hand. To do this, we need to find out more about the nature of alcoholism. In doing this, you can't help but find out more about the nature of man. We can't afford to be closed-minded to new sources of help. Man makes his own hell out of fear, suspicion of what he doesn't understand about himself and his world. We don't want any longer bleed people in medicine, yet there are some people who still have views of psychiatry that mental illness is caused by the moon. Examples of this that I've seen work in my nearly a year now in AA are every group seems to have a poor soul who is passed off as hopeless. He's off again, he's on again. We don't quite understand him, and it's not easy. Granted, it's a difficult problem. If we are to move ahead, it's the tough problems like this passed off man that we can't avoid. How do you take an inventory? It's easy to list. I stole money from my employer. I was unfaithful to my wife. Uh, <clears throat> I was irresponsible. 
meeting my financial obligations? These are obvious. How do you get down to the problems of personality change, problems that really make us tick? It's all the same in kind, but it's the degree that has made us alcoholics. We have to not only understand the nature of the problem to deal with it, but we've also got to, in understanding it, we've got to understand how we can attack the nature of the problem. In closing, I'll give you one last phrase that you've all heard. You learn to live and live to learn. But I think it all behooves us to remember that learning is often a painful process and living is often hard work. And the way to Mecca is not always easy. Thank you very much, Chuck. Very much indeed. Speaking of personality changes, I was trying to think the other day whether or not I'd had any personality change or how much of a personality change I'd had. And I came to the conclusion that I'm still as confused as I ever was. It's just a happy confusion that I have. You know. <laughs>